With all the recent changes in legislative activity, it's really hard to navigate as a property manager. On today's episode of Bootstrappers, we're gonna talk about exactly what the law is and how to avoid lawsuits. We're gonna speak with NARPM President Scott Abernathy. That's next on Bootstrappers. This is the Bootstrapper Show for property management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics uh, related to the real estate and property management industry. I am your host, Jeremy Aspen, and this is my spouse, Gwen Aspen, lovingly hey. known as Gwenny Poo. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, So today we're going to talk about the legislative landscape surrounding property management industry, which, uh, uh, you know, the the heart of the issue was the uh, eviction moratorium. But we've had another conversation with uh, Scott Abernathy of NARPM, who joins us again today. He's the president of NARPM. He's also the uh, president of property management, uh, president Property Management, Inc., PMI Professionals. Uh, He's also the author of a book, Kingpin Landlord. Um, so first, let me do that. Let me introduce Scott. Thanks for joining us today. Very- My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Um, so uh, many of you have been concerned about the eviction moratorium, um, and we, like I say, we had that discussion. We want to get it drilled down into a couple of other topics that have kind of taken um, a back seat, and those would be issues such as the... Um, what are all the topics for going on? Well, the ADA, um, there are a bunch of ADA lawsuits going out against uh, property managers. We want to know more about that. And then also where things stand with the uh, support animals, which is always a huge issue. And then I definitely wanted to also touch on the carbon monoxide detector laws. And there's all, yeah, that and disparate impact. So like, you, we could have an entire show on just those issues easily, but... Because Scott is somebody that I've known for years to be very involved in the politi- in politics, generally speaking, but also the politics of our industry, it's just we're queued up to have a really fun conversation about these issues because, uh, you know, b- besides me, Scott knows about as much uh, as anybody, more than everybody else in the room. I'm just kidding. He actually knows way more than everybody. Uh, which one do you want to take on first? I think we should talk about um, the ADA lawsuits because actually, Scott, I mean, I'm just rusty on this stuff, which is funny because Jeremy and I are super big political nerds. But frame the issue that uh, these lawsuits that are coming up against landlords regarding the ADA. Sure. But I've got to take issue first on who's smarter real quick first. Uh, <laughs> you lose. No. Unless, <laughs> who, who wrote Jeez. the book on it? Oh, yeah. Uh, who find, okay. who, yeah, who, who the got book? their book okay. uh, published? Okay. Hmm. All right. I'll, I'll defer. I'll defer to the expert. <laughs> I didn't say the book was good. Uh, Just you're the matter. Of, yeah, you're, I think I, I'll defer it for sure. Yes, for sure. Well, I see somebody is going through the National Association of Residential Property Managers uh, issues page on our website. I that did. Like you rattle off a lot of you, our, our issues that we've dealt with. Uh, the ADA one is one that's aged a little bit. Uh, briefly, how, that was something that we are working with the uh, NFIB, the National it's the Independent Business Organization. I forget what it, uh, what it stands for. But anyway, it, it was what they called drive-by lawsuits, you know, uh, the uh, – a lawyer or whatever would drive by a property and say, okay, look, that ramp is wrong. And they'd get somebody to file a suit just right there. And, and they'd be found, you know, guilty and fined and had to pay all the legal fees. It was, it was a money grab for the legal industry. Hey, can't blame them. You gotta make money how you can make money. Right. 
some things have changed on that. A lot has changed on that, actually, since that was written. Um, God, that's probably three or four years old on that one. It's not a big fight anymore because now we've got the opportunity to cure whenever something like this happens. And a lot of this is because of the activity of what NARPM and our lobbyists uh, uh, did was to get us, give us the opportunity to cure before we're fined. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yes, but there is a new issue regarding ADA, regarding people's uh, websites. I don't know if you've seen this. Yes. So that's yes. why I thought this was an important thing to talk about first, because we just went through this with our website um, at Anaquam, where we did a big to-do to make sure it was ADA uh, user-friendly, if you will. Um, and so that's something that there are still drive-by lawsuits regarding that issue. And they don't even have to drive. Yeah, they can just look up your website, and if it's not ADA compliant, you could be subject to a lawsuit. I don't know if you have gone through that issue at all. Yes, and that was a few years ago that, that came to the surface also, where we all had to rebuild our websites to make sure that they were uh, accessible to those that couldn't see or hear, uh, which is understandable. We don't want to discriminate against anybody. Sure. It, absolutely. But I don't know if everybody's website is ADA compliant no, yet. Not. So I wanted to make sure that we brought that up while we're talking about ADA. Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend every property manager listening to make sure that they've got their website ADA compliant. Because we're uh, once if they have a professional organization doing it for them, probably already done it for them but if they're running their own website you're right it's probably not correct but well, luckily the the plugins are i mean it's like 700 bucks but you buy like a, a plugin 700 bucks like a year but you buy the plugin and it's it, they're pretty user-friendly at this point uh, i would say even a few months ago that was harder to do um so but that is a ada consideration that everyone should well, and to, to put it into context, like the, all the issues that you as a property manager have had in the past with fair housing, where you know, and you certainly heard about um, all the bad stories about how people, property managers, landlords get sued, um, they had to have testers. They, the fair housing would have testers out there. They would check to see um, that you weren't asking questions based on or that could be tied to color um, or their race, gender, all of those things. ADA is it's similar to that in that except they don't have to drive around and have testers they can just go onto websites and find out that there's an issue and you are starting to battle uphill so the takeaway sure, there is sure are yeah right right it's a, it's a big deal people need to take it for very seriously and like Gwen brought up and I, and I think you'd probably agree Scott it's a relatively simple fix well, I, I'm not a tech guy, so I'm the wrong person to ask. But Gwen, I think if you, you're using a YouTube channel for your business also, it has to be compliant too, doesn't it? It does. There's a little bit um, of a wiggle room because YouTube in and of itself has um, the captioning now. So that was a big issue. But now that you can just press a button and it will read it for you, I think we're okay with YouTube. Um, but it's, I'm not a legal expert, so definitely defer to your <laughs> local, you know, your lawyer, but, um, but I think that that is a helpful bypass. So should we go and, to the, we go ahead. We probably need to qualify our entire conversation. Yes. We're not legal experts. Oh good yes. Point. That's a good We're point. Really good. Let's put that Reach in our to intro. You're professional. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are, is carbon monoxide still on the uh, table? Are people talking about carbon monoxide around the country? Yes. 
Yes, I mean, obviously, these issues that we're talking about right now are so far back burner in the last 18 right. months. Right, and thus this the purpose is a really of the good show. conversation to have, right? Because they are going to bubble back up. There's no doubt about it. They're going to bubble back so up. So with carbon, carbon monoxide, monoxide detectors, is yes. the problem with carbon monoxide detectors? I'm guessing it's always a state statute, right? That's generally speaking where that's going to happen, and county to county. Oh, oh no. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So county to county. So what 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 are some issues that have come up recently? And then I can share with you the way that we handled it here in Nebraska. Sure. So the biggest challenge with carbon monoxide issues is there's no um, uniform inspection standards. You know, it's a if it's right here in this jurisdiction, it's not in this municipality. It is over here. This that and the other. There's no. I mean, you've got building codes for new buildings, but even that. There are counties that don't require uh, carbon monoxide detectors. Uh, where I live, if you don't have gas, you're not going to have a carbon monoxide detector in your house. And, and it's not required even if you have gas in, in the house. Now, should you? Well, I'm going to maintain that, yes, if you've got a gas appliances, any gas, heat, you know, stove, whatever it is, I think you should. But that's coming from somebody who's known somebody who lost their life from uh, mm. carbon monoxide detection. And trust oh. me, you don't want to be the landlord. When, uh, you, yeah. when somebody dies of carbon monoxide. Right. So I'll say that here in Nebraska, <laughs> I'll make a long story short, but we had some very political activists on the left that were trying to get carbon monoxide legislation passed. And it was written in such a way that it, to use an example, it was the landlord's responsibility always. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be friends with one of the people that was running this, and I was involved in all the legislative discussions. And and this is the takeaway. If you're working with the political opponent, which in these case, they were all political opponents of mine, um, we got along great and, and they did absorb reasonable um, exceptions, which was it should probably be the, um, the, the, the property manager, the owner of the property can't be uh, liable because they're not allowed in the property. And now if you make it so that they're liable, they have to go into the property, which if you're a tenant, that is unfair. That's just one example. There were two or three in there that really, um, they, they listened to, they built it into the law. And I would say that Nebraska's carbon monoxide law is probably the one you want your state to copy paste. So I do wanna say what the error was in the initial legislation was that the landlord was responsible during the tenancy if anything went wrong with the carbon monoxide detector. Now we all know as landlords, as soon as something mm -hmm. starts beeping because the battery is out or getting low, people take a baseball bat to it, right? They just get sick of it and it's the middle of the night and they just beat the crap out of it with a baseball bat. And so it's unfair for us to be liable if they destruct, you know, are destructive towards that device and we can't be responsible when we're not going to go into people's house. I mean, every day of the week. So Jeremy actually was responsible for adjusting the language to make sure that it was the responsibility of the tenant once the tenant has moved in. Now for move-ins and regular inspections, it has to be on the list and it has to be working anytime we go in there, but it's not, you know, if there's a, a unfortunate you know, terrible accident, it shouldn't be our fault if somebody destructs is destructive towards it. I totally agree. Yeah. So copy paste Nebraska. And it really is important that people read that fine print. If this is going on in their state, because it can be written really poorly. Oh man, it was terrible. There's one person, one woman in there. She's a lawyer. 
um, you know, I had said, you know, it's not our fault. And she goes, I don't really care if it's the property owner's fault. I think you guys should all be fined just for being property owners. I mean, that is the type of people that were in the room. But even that being the case, and as angry as I really got inside, I held my composure as I generally do, right? Um, I did. And, and they came up with a reasonable law. So it's not, it's not all, all doom and gloom, gloom. And to be fair to them that are promoting it, it is a safer state because there's reasonable expectations set by both parties. When we give the property to a tenant, it is safe. When they bring it back to us, we make it safe. So I do want to just um, piggyback on what you just said. I do feel like after this, and maybe I'm just being paranoid. Scott, you can you can weigh in on this. But I do feel like there, it, that we're a really great industry to rail against right now. Uh, For whatever reason, it's very politically advantageous for certain people to be against our industry. And um, what do you think are the best ways that if uh, anyone is going through this in their state or their local jurisdiction where they really feel like they're being villainized, how do you think landlords can put, or landlords and property managers can put the industry in the best light? Sure. If you have a state chapter or a local chapter of the National Association of Residential Property Managers in your area, work with them. Uh, most of them, many of them are going to be very active in the local governments. Uh, I'm in Nashville. We have a Nashville chapter. We have a government affairs chairperson that keeps us informed of, you know, going on at the state level and the local level. Uh, and heck, he knows most of the councilmen and uh, senators, representatives, stuff like that. So band together. If you don't have a, a NARPM chapter around you, there are other, I mean, you get together with other property managers and landlords, by the way. There's a lot of landlords out there that, that will help you with this stuff as also. Not a bad place to get business either. If you can uh, uh, buddy with landlords to, to carry yeah, a charge together. Amen right. To that. The other thing that I think we need to do is just really position ourselves as a small business industry. No one dislikes small business. Everybody dislikes large business. I mean, if you're of that ilk. Um, but small business is something that I don't think we bill ourselves enough as. And so when people are going after or villainizing the industry, I think we'd like, hey, we're just small business. You know, we're tradesmen in many cases. We're just trying to provide safe and affordable housing to people. And when we go in from that viewpoint or remind people that that's who we are, I feel like the guards come down a little bit more. So that's just been that's my experience um, working on some of these challenging issues in our state. And Jeremy and I have done a reasonable job of partnering with people and finding some area of compromise like hey none of us want anyone to die from carbon monoxide poisoning let's just start with no one wants anyone to die or if we were doing a lead paint discussion like no one wants kids to be poisoned we're all on the same page there and we're small businesses we're just trying to figure out you know efficient affordable ways to manage this because you don't want to villainize us we're a property management company the people that you're worried about are these underground property managers that are doing things below board but that's not us and so anyway that line of thinking has helped us be more productive in these statewide conversations just as a side point um, you definitely want to work with NARPM on this stuff because NARPM has a, uh, a lobbyist that's in Virginia that works with us on uh, legal issues as well. Uh, so, and, and you've got local NARPM, NARPM groups too. And that is probably the best way to get in touch with your, to get your word out. I like the way you put that. I mean, it's not like we're ExxonMobil or, uh, right. you know, General Electric. I mean, we're local business owner right here in your backyard. Right. Yeah. 
Mom and pop shops, baby. Um, all right, so can we move to disparate impact? Because that's another one of those I think was really scary at the beginning. Um, COVID kind of jumped in, I think has taken away a lot of that, um, the acidity of the conversation, but I don't think it's been resolved. And I certainly don't think a, a lot of the members of NARPM or in my industry are comfortable with disparate impact yet. So what's the deal with disparate impact? Yes, and disparate impact has had some movement at HUD while nobody's looking. Ah. You know, while we're all looking at COVID and this, that, and the other, yeah. there's absolutely been movement with this disparate impact. For starters, I guess we ought to explain what disparate impact is mm -hmm. for your listeners. Uh, so disparate impact is a, is a theory in discrimination, which basically says you can discriminate against somebody because of a business practice that you have that's not necessarily intended to be discriminatory, but it is. Uh, you know, inadvertently, and you're still responsible it's for it. It's output. And, and I'll is. give an example here in just a little while. Right. Uh, matter of fact, I'll go ahead and give an example yeah. now. I'll give you an example of that, what uh, the Housing and Urban Development came out with. Okay, this came from a Supreme Court ruling in June of 2016. 2016 is whenever the theory of disparate impact was uh, affirmed in, in the Supreme Court. And that case was the uh, Inclusive Communities de uh, versus the Texas Department of Housing. Inclusive Communities was a low-income home builder, developer, home developer, and the Department of Housing in, in Texas had low-income loans, low-income grants for folks that didn't make a lot of money. Oh. All of these low-income loans, though, seemed to be going to the same general area. The, the state didn't mean to be discriminating against anybody, but if you know anything about fair housing, steering would mean you're doing something to put a particular protected class in the same area. Well, that's what inclusive communities said, claimed that, you know, they're given these loans. They can only buy these low income houses with these loans and all these low income houses are in the same general area. Therefore, the state was steering them there. Now, I oversimplified mm -hmm. that big time oversimplified that it's a lot more complicated than that. Interesting course, roots, though. State, Very interesting. Yeah, because we would have thought state, it had more to do with the private sector. But no. Wow. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, the, you are the state didn't mean to be discriminating. Not, not at all. But they inadvertently were because all these houses were in a area where a specific protected class was in. And they were all specific protected classes. I say all, many of them. It wasn't all of them, just a large enough percentage for this to be a uh, disparate impact. And that was what was affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Jeremy, Gwen, that's Pandora's box. If you really think of all the policies and procedures that we have in our industry where somebody somewhere down the road could say, you know what? There's a, this protected class has more of this than this protected class. And you could see where this could go. Mm -hmm. And the first domino to fall was criminal background checks. Uh, if you'd like for me to go into more detail on that or if we don't have time, it's up to you. I think we should keep it at, you know, what do landlords need to know to avoid any of these problems in their business? Um, sure. You know, and, and not inadvertently discriminate. Well, and I think actually we could use the criminal background check as an example of, yep. and you, we, could, we could cut and paste that same argument. So I would, I would like to hear yeah. your thoughts on that. Okay, certainly. So um, the one thing that the ruling did give property managers and landlords is, you know, something for a reasonable business practice. You know, uh, my first thought process is we all use credit scores. We use credit scoring for, you know, judging whether a tenant's going to be credit worthy or not. I think there's probably an argument that could be made that some protected classes have better credit scores than other protected classes. And there's somebody down the road that could say, 
that this is discriminatory. But at this point, that's considered a reasonable business practice. Well, in 2017, we also thought that criminal background checks was a reasonable business practice. And it's not that you can't do a criminal background checks, but you can't have a one-strike-you're-out policy. You're going to see in all these HUD guidance memos, whenever they, they distribute something, they almost all will say they want to see the landlord slash property manager use the least discriminatory method available. They give some outlines and criminal background checks on what you can and can't do. Like, for example, arrest records. Can't evaluate arrest records because unless they're convicted of something that is, you know, they're innocent mm. without uh, until they're proven guilty. No one strike you out policies. You can't say just because you were locked up once, you can never uh, rent a property from us. They want us to be more reasonable and thoughtful about the uh, the crime that was committed, which kind of blows my mind. There's, you know, gray areas in crime, you know, good crime versus bad crime. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, those are my words, by the way. And how long it's been. And I will admit this. They're probably right on that. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody gets locked up when they're 18 years old and they serve their five years. They're a productive member of the society for the next 20. Does that really have anything to do with their tenant worthiness? Right. You know, probably not. So they're probably right there. Uh, but I'll never forget sitting down to HUD when I was, you know, debating them on this in Washington, D.C. And they wanted us to evaluate things like, you know, you know, we understand if it's murder or rape or something like that. But, you know, if it's bouncing a check and I'm like, bouncing a check, I'd rather a murder and rape than bouncing a check. Yeah, right. <laughs> OK, I, I go a little far there, but you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that bouncing <laughs> a check uh, has a, that makes a difference. Yes, it does. It does. But that's just kind of the first thing. We are watching for other things also. And quite honestly, a suit gets filed or a complaint gets filed and HUD says, okay, look, that's probably a disparate impact. They're going to get their their hands in it. Uh, it would not surprise me at all if we didn't see more issues like that. And the criminal background checks is the only one that I know of right now that I've seen HUD come out with a guidance memo on from disparate impact. Well, and but um, I, I could see more coming. The example is marijuana also, like marijuana uh, convictions plague more the, I think, uh, African-American community more than they do white, uh, white America. And so they use that as an example. And I think there were some lawsuits and I think some lost lawsuits that, um, that where they made the claim that they, they had, uh, committed, I don't know if that's the right word, disparate, uh, that disparate impact or racism, I guess it kind of what it ends up being, um, is, was it play? Discrimination. I mean, it was, yeah, it was part of the conversation, part of the decision-making, wittingly or knowingly or not, it, it ended up resulting in something that wasn't fair because it's not a criminal uh, offense. They're, they're tr- oh, that's not true. They're treated differently, right? That's what the law says. That's what um, any analysis of the law says anyway. So um, I, we actually in but Nebraska- to make it clear, well, well, I was just going to gonna make say, it clear. In, oh, God, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In Nebraska, um, or I'm sorry, in my company, what we do is we just don't take into account marijuana possession as as uh, in part of the decision making, and that saves us, I think. So, what were you saying? Sorry, I was just going to say to be clear, HUD did not declare criminals a protected class. That's not what they did. Right. They look at the reality and, and statistics. Color is a protected class. And the reality is in this country, on a percentage basis, we lock up more people of color than right. not. Right. That's where the disparate impact comes in. And that's where they want us to use a, a less discriminating method. So no one strike you out policies. And uh, 
and be more thoughtful about your, your processes. And just to kind of mention what we said earlier is that at the heart of everything, even all of these laws, disparate impact, uh, fair housing, carbon dioxide detectors, there's always a good reason. There's always a good motive. You got to find it. You got to work with it. And you got to make it work for you. Um, how about... Um, discriminatory taxes and fees in real estate. So this is something, because we're such a salient um, industry to rail against, I wonder if this will be more common post-COVID uh, or the moratorium on evictions. Um, what kind of discriminatory taxes and fees are you seeing in real estate? And what can property managers do um, to combat that? Sure. And keep in mind, discrimination does not necessarily mean racism. And that's not what we're talking mm -hmm. about. here. What we're talking about is business discrimination. Mm -hmm. We're talking about landlords being discriminated against more than anything. You're seeing communities all across the country do things like impact fees whenever the, somebody chooses to rent a house or, or landlord registrations with high fees attached to registering your property as a, as a rental property. And these are all, you know, only taxing landlords, not anybody else to you know, spread that money throughout the rest of the community, and it's only landlords. And that's the frustration there, mm. is the discrimination against the landlord in that case. You know, reality, I say this is reality, it's not. But the way it looks anyway is if they tax us more as a landlord, well, we got to pass that on to the mm -hmm. tenant, right? So rents have to go up. But we all also know that the reality is we can only get so much rent for a property, and the market decides that. We don't. No uh, you know what? The, no expenses do. The market does. You're the only person that's ever brought that up. And, and here's what happens then. So, yes, we get an extra $100 a month expense, right, uh, for fees. Fine. Um, and let's say the market won't allow for an additional $100. Uh, then you, what happens is you get deferred maintenance. I mean, it, it does show up on a balance sheet, whether it's in black and white or not. It, it does absolutely show up. If a, if a property manager can't, or an owner can't make a certain amount of money on their return, then it's going to be forced, they're going to be forced to do something to realize some value that makes it worth continuing. And that ends up being, if you play it out over the course of years, and especially in more troublesome neighborhoods, it turns into properties that are going to be bulldozed at the city's expense. And a, and a bigger societal problem. You just and suck the equity out of the neighborhood if you keep doing that stuff. Over time, it affects the tenancy and affordable housing. Right. That's mm -hmm. what it really affects. I mean, I can't just make a $100 increase in my rent today, but over time, you're going to have to catch that up or I'm not going to have that property anymore and it's going to be off the, land, the landlord's list for, to be available to rent. Uh, so mm -hmm. the more of those we pull out, the more expensive housing gets. So ultimately, it does trickle down to the tenants, and it's a burden on them. But initially, it's the burden on the landlord if they choose to remain being a landlord. Someday, in Oregon, I, get... I don't know why anybody would remain to be a landlord in Oregon with all their, their fees and uh, taxes and yeah. stuff like that. So, well, this has been super interesting discussion. So um, NARPM is having a national conference October 26th through the 29th in Kansas City. Do you want to tell uh, our listenership about that? I'd be more than happy to. And for starters, NARPM, you've heard me say it already, stands for the National Association of Residential Property Managers. I am the 2021 pres president. If you are not a NARPM member, I'd love for you to go to narpm.org. That's N-A-R-P-M.org. Check us out. I think you'll like uh, like what you see. We you have will. our national convention that you can join us in Kansas City. And you have the dates there. Yes, the 26th through the 29th of October. 2021. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, that's right. And, and it is going to be live. It's going to be at the Lowe's uh, Hotel there, which is a practically new hotel. You know, have a lot of fun there. We're going to be raising money for charity also for Meals on Wheels America. Uh, we're going to have a bowling tournament to uh, raise money there uh, for that. So that ought to be fun. Matter of fact, I went bowling last night. I didn't do very good. <laughs> I think what I would like you to do um, when we're down there, I'd like you to, it to be uh, we donate $1 for every pin that we knock down. Ooh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. That's or a- don't, that we don't knock down. <laughs> that would be even better. That would be better, especially for me. That would be better. <laughs> but, yeah, come join us. You're going to learn an awful lot about property management. What I like about NARPM is you don't know what you don't know. And you're going to know once you join NARPM. And, and, you know, as people, I know a lot of houses are turning over right now and people are losing um, unit count or door count. And one of the ways to gain um, doors is when you're sitting down with an owner, if you know the ins and outs of the laws, if you are at these conferences and you know everything about property management, you're going to win when you're competing against other property managers who aren't NARPM affiliated. So I think it, the, the wealth of knowledge that you learn from these kinds of organizations, and I personally, as a property uh, management company owner, am so grateful for NARPM um, sticking up for us in the lobbying efforts to make sure that our industries uh, heard on a national level. And so uh, NARPM is a huge part of why um, there have been at least some concessions with the uh, moratorium, the eviction moratorium. And, you know, some of the laws that are less stringent than they could have been is because of those lobbying efforts. Well, and I'll also say that uh, while there is, um, there are lobbyists in Washington, D.C., which I think is important, any issues that are up that come up locally or at the state level in your area, you can reach out to NARPM and their their board or whatever it is, their committee, does touch on those. They do review those and they'll even give you opinions to send back to legislators. They're not just for federal issues. They, you can talk to them about your local and state issues as well. Before we go, I do want to talk about your book. It's uh, Kingpin Landlords, correct? That's correct. Tell us about Kingpin it. Land- Kingpin Landlord, The Secrets to Unlocking uh, the, the wealth in your rental properties. It's, it's a book designed for rental property owners to show them some methods on how to earn more money out of their uh, out of their properties. It's a little counterintuitive, you know. Like for example, late fees. Should I charge the entire amount that I can charge, or should I charge less? Sometimes less is more. Mm. And if you want to learn more about it, you can find it at amazon.com <laughs> or barnesandnoble.com. But we'll say this. I told you I went bowling last night. I never had two games and I never got over a hundred. And somebody looked up at me and said, you wrote a book named King. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can't bowl? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we're so great. Enjoy it. I think I think property managers will enjoy it, and I think they might uh, like sharing it with their prospective uh, owners as well. Because Chapter Eight's all about hiring the right property manager. So maybe what we should do is buy a bunch of them and give them to our clients. I'm just telling. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, everybody. It's not. I, I mean, think you should. Yeah, we should. <laughs> as like a gift when they uh, they get onboarded. You may want to read it first. Yeah. <laughs> I'll read it. I, I, yeah, I haven't yet, but uh, I got it on my list right here. So anyway, um, Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. So just please go to anaquim.net and uh, download a free ebook, which is about leadership development. Because our employees want to work for better companies. They, our A players want to work for better companies. And you, as the leader of the company, have 
the responsibility to make sure your company is being run effectively so that their lives can be made better. Go to aniquim.net and uh, download that ebook today. Um, anyway, so I think, Scott, that is everything we've got for you, uh, question-wise, unless there's anything you'd like to bring up. I think we covered an awful lot. Uh, uh, we could go all day, like you said. I Yeah, I've also I've got things I want to talk to you about, like uh, service animals and, I mean, even just the philosophy of working with local governments and how to make things a little bit better. But that'll have to be sometime in Kansas City. We'll, we'll have to carve out some time. But thanks a million for being on the show. Really do appreciate it. This is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business.